Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. You know, at the end of the day, football is football. All Patriots, all, all the time. Ooh, that's spicy. All Patriots, all all the time. Welcome to, 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 to First and Foxborough. It's that time of day again. Your favorite time of day. First and Foxborough time. Episode 2 coming at you right now. I'm Kyrie Thompson, Patriots beat reporter for WEEI.com and the captain of the SS First and Foxborough. Do not forget to follow, subscribe, download, listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. Trust me, I checked. And don't forget to follow the show accounts at First and Foxborough, F-O-X-B-O-R-O. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Please interact with the show. Tell me some things you might want to talk about. Or, you know, leave critiques on the show. I'm all about it. Now, just remember, okay, I said follow me at KDThompson5. There is another, though he pronounces his name Kari, not Kyrie like I do. But there is another guy with the exact same spelling of my name out there. Please remember that. Though, that guy is also awesome. And he's actually from around here, which is the really cool thing. He's actually from, like, the Jamaica Plain, like, Roxbury area. And like, this is, this is his, this is his home. I, I'm, I just, I'm a transplant, you know, I'm just coming here. So, uh, yo, follow, follow his work too. At underscore Kari Thompson with, with the same spelling of my name. But remember, that's not at KD Thompson five. That's me. First of all, thank all of you 
who tuned in and supported the launch of the show yesterday. I woke up and actually, as of right now, I just checked this, we're up to more than 1,200 downloads in just less than a day of the show being fully online. Like even yesterday, I was looking at the, the show trailer itself and only like three people had listened to it. And now it's... Uh, over 1,200 downloads. So thank you so much. That's crazy to me. Much appreciated. I feel the love. And it's time to bring you some more Pat's content to help you get through your Tuesday. So look, I'm keeping up the guest heavy theme for the week while we continue counting things down to Patriots training camp. By the way, we are now T minus 15 days, Nelson Aguilar days away from the start of training camp. By the way, I know I've been talking a lot of positive stuff about Nelson Aguilar. I mean, I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. You know, he's a bum. He didn't do anything last year. He's not worth the money. And in the end, is he going to be Oakland Nelson Aguilar where he's getting like 900 yards or whatever? I don't know. Not Maybe not in this offense because I feel like this is going to be a very ball movement evenly distributed kind of offense where look you got a lot of mouths to feed here a lot of potential mouths to feed at the same time I just think that based on what the little bit that we've seen I can see where he might do a little bit more than he did last year and be more effective because they're going to move around a lot but look I, I don't want to digress too much okay let's introduce our guest for today's show Doug Kide. He is a national NFL insider for Pro Football Focus and formerly a Patriots insider for Nesson, one of the chillest dudes around. We got to link up a little bit at the NFL Combine this past February and March as well when I was working for Boston.com. And Doug and my guy Brad Spielberger with PFF were out making money for the company down at the Combine, as Brad calls it. And I remember going to Doug at one point after the wide receivers worked out that Thursday night at the Combine and telling him, I had somehow been one of the few people to spot Bill Belichick in the wild on the second floor of the, the JW Marriott in Indy where we were we were all hanging out because there's a bar down there on the first floor called High Velocity. That's like the spot to go to when you're down at the Combine. Basically, like after 10 o'clock, that's when like you see coaches rolling in, players rolling in. I was chatting with Alan Robinson of the Chicago Bears at one point. I talked to like, you know, scouts and stuff like that from all around the way. It's where everybody hangs out. And then they go over to like, what, Club 44 or something like that uh, for, for the midnight portion of it, like the after hours. I was a little bit too tired for all that, but I'm going to have to do that next time around. Anyway. Back to Belichick. So he had just come out of the tunnel with everyone else who was watching the workout in person. Also, by the way, only time I've ever seen that guy in a suit that I, that I can think of. Every other time he's like in in his like hoodie and the coach gear with shorts or sweats or what have you. But he was all suited up. He was looking snazzy, right? So he he's like chatting with somebody off to the side of the tunnel as everybody's kind of streaming out. It's like both kind of covert and also more out in the open than the stories you're used to hearing. So anyway, I go back down to the, the bar downstairs. I go down the escalator and I run into Doug and I, and I tell Doug like, hey man, Belichick's upstairs. I just saw him. And Doug's eyes just light up and he's just like, yo, I'm going to go try and catch him. Straight away goes upstairs to try and catch Belichick only to find he had just thrown down, you know, the, the, the ninja dust. He hit the instant transmission or like did the vanishing jutsu or whatever and just disappeared. Poof. Vanishes into nothing. And I was just thinking all those stories you hear from the players and prospects about how clandestine Belichick likes to keep it at the combine. It's like we got a taste of that right there. 
now that we got that camp story out of the way, let's get to what Doug had to say about the Patriots themselves. He got a little bit more of a chance to see the Patriots up close than he normally would because it's kind of slow during the springtime, so he doesn't have to bounce around to all the different places around the league, catching training camps and all that. So he came and hung out with us in Foxborough for a couple of days. Here's what he saw, including the thing that everybody wants to know about. First thing everyone wants to know, how's Mac Jones looking? I thought that Mac Jones was good during the minicamp practice. Obviously, no pads. Uh, no contact. We'll really see what this team looks like during training camp and preseason. But I thought that Mac Jones was hitting a lot of big throws during minicamp. Uh, he seemed to be connecting with his receivers well. So I'd say that that was just my biggest takeaway overall is that I think that he could take another step this season. Obviously, there's extenuating circumstances. There's yeah. the offensive coaching staff. There's, you know, he doesn't necessarily have the best weapons around him. But I think that Mac Jones purely as a quarterback should be better this season than he was last year. There were a couple of plays that I saw where they tried to confuse him a little bit. Again, as as much as you can do uh, during these periods where they would try to throw little wrinkles, like different forms of man coverage or zone at him. And he never seemed to skip a beat. He was just like, okay, you're taking this away from me. I'll just do this. And it, not that he couldn't or didn't do that last year, but I just think that when you look at where he was last season at this time, and even at points during the season, it just felt like he was really just trying to take care of the ball. Don't mess up. Don't make mistakes. And it felt like not only was he processing things well and making the right reads, but he was starting to get more aggressive with it as, as you noted, and he was taking more chances. I felt like last year we might have we might see like one deep ball in a week from him right. dur during like this time so that's definitely a big one i want to get to this though it feels like people think the field is going to start coming back to him a little bit in terms of the second year quarterbacks the you know people that were all drafted in the first round last year yeah. seeing a lot of buzz for trevor lawrence that he's going to take over now as the top dog in that room among the second year quarterbacks that he's going to show why he was the number one pick. Now that Jacksonville has kind of revamped a little bit, seeing a lot of Zach Wilson for a number of reasons. Um, <laughs> some of them are football related, you know, and people think that he might take a step and Trey Lance is getting some buzz. There's this thought that yeah, Mac Jones was really good last year and he was head and shoulders above everybody, but those other guys have more upside. How have you seen that conversation kind of unfold on a national level in terms of how people think that Mac Jones is going to perform relative to those other guys in year two? Yeah, I'd say that if he is still the top quarterback in that class this season, which, you know, given how much better he looked than everyone else is still definitely a possibility heading into next season. I think that that gap will definitely narrow a little bit because as we kind of alluded to earlier, I'm not sure if Mac Jones' situation improved this offseason. He has another year in the system, or he has another year in the NFL, which certainly helps. But you take away Josh McDaniels, you know, the offensive weapons didn't get significantly better for him. Uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. I think that there's going to be more put on Mac Jones' plate. So maybe the raw statistics, maybe, you know, his passer rating, whatever it is, will kind of stay a little bit stagnant. But I do think that he'll start to take more chances. I think that overall he will improve. But the offensive play callers, I, I do think that the situation around him has probably gotten worse just based on Josh McDaniels leaving and you know not really knowing who in that OC is. 
Trevor Lawrence, I think that his situation has probably improved the most this offseason. You take Urban Meyer out of the mix, all the craziness that was ensuing last year in Jacksonville. Doug Peterson has done well with quarterbacks in the past. And you can you know, question how the Jaguars spent their money this offseason. But you can't really argue with the fact that they did improve their roster and they really improved on the offensive side of the ball quite a bit. And that's before even talking about getting you know Travis Etienne back at running back. Uh, I do think that Trevor Lawrence will take a significant step forward. Trey Lance being the starter this year, obviously he'll be taking a step forward as well. We'll see about Zach Wilson. I think that his weapons improved a little bit as well this offseason, but I'm just not overly sure about him in general but i do think that you know staying in the same system for another year that will help him as well so i do expect that gap to narrow i'm really curious to see though at the end of this season who does still look like the best rookie quarterback or the best quarterback from that 2021 draft class because i wouldn't be surprised if it was mac jones but two three years down the road it might not be right and and i think there was an interesting uh kind of cluster stats analysis that i saw uh, on pro football focus during this offseason that you know, kind of made that argument that, yeah, Mac Jones was definitely like far and away better, but the chances of being like very good to elite, you know, you could see uh, potentially Trevor Lawrence has a very good chance to eclipse that. Um, same with Justin Fields. He was the other name that was kind of like, ah, interesting because he kind of fit that mold. Fields did, I mean, of mm-hmm. uh, maybe a kind of a gunslinger type who was, who was taking chances, but push the ball, made big plays and things like that. So it will be interesting to see if Mac Jones kind of also is like, you know what, I'm going to take some shots here too. So in particular, we, we've spent months now trying to pin down who is going to call plays for this team on offense. We've seen both Matt Patricia and Joe Judge calling plays off the sheet during spring. We even saw Bill Belichick doing it like kind of at one point. Um, but it seemed like as time went on, especially in minicamp, during the team segments, it was kind of Matt Patricia running the show. Now, at the same time, I've, I've heard you know, kind of pushback from uh, other other people and, and former players saying, like, look, the idea of an offensive line coach calling the plays instead of the quarterback coach just seems off. And so I'm just kind of curious, like, from, from your vantage point, how could that system work if it was Patricia or, or I mean, it'd make a lot more sense if it was judge, but how, how could it possibly make sense if it was Patricia and how much has that been factoring into how people are concerned about Mac Jones's development? Like, do they really think it'll be that big of a deal? Um, well, first of all, I, I, I do think it's interesting. I think that Michael Lombardi is one of the person, one of the people who kind of noted that how can Matt Patricia be the offensive play caller if he's the offensive line coach? I thought that was really interesting, especially coming from you know Michael Lombardi, who's close with Bill Belichick and everything like that. But I do feel like you almost have to take a step back from from that idea and say, okay, yeah, Matt Patricia is running the show with the offensive line right now, but. They do also have Billy Yates uh, helping out on the offensive line. Uh, they've got, I, I, saw, I think I saw Tyler Hughes helping out there on the offensive line as well. Maybe it's not an ideal situation to have Billy Yates, who's a little bit less of an experienced coach, being your offensive line coach. But it's also not an ideal situation to not have an offensive coordinator. So I think that whoever Bill Belichick thinks is going to be the, the best offensive play caller then you just sort of figure it out with the other coaches on the staff because that offensive play caller, that offensive coordinator is significantly more important than whoever's going to be the guy on the sideline with the offensive line 
in game. I think that if it came down to it and Bill Belichick thought that Matt Patricia was a much better offensive play caller than Joe judge, then yeah, you'd say, okay, well, you know, Billy Yates can handle the in-game adjustments or Tyler Hughes can handle the in-game adjustments or someone else on the staff can do that. And then you've got Matt Patricia there on the sideline uh, with the play sheet. I don't really know who winds up being the offensive play caller. I did think it was interesting that, you know, during seven on sevens, it was Joe judge doing a lot of it during, during 11 on 11s. It was Matt Patricia. It does look like it's a passing game coordinator with judge run game coordinator with Patricia, but I definitely would not be surprised if Bill Belichick just winds up doing it. And if those issues do arise with the offensive line where he needs Matt Patricia be working with, you know, David Andrews and the offensive line uh, in game, then Bill Belichick might just be the one to handle it. But I do think that the, the conversation that this could affect Mac Jones future or his development. I think it's real. I mean, every other team in the league is looking for this rock star play caller, these guys who can yeah. you know, coach up quarterbacks and everything like that. And the Patriots don't have a proven entity to do that. It's Joe judge. And then it's, you know, Evan Rothstein, who's also working with quarterbacks. It's these inexperienced guys working with Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi and Brian Hoyer. And I think that Hoyer can take on some of those responsibilities, but I think that one thing that will be interesting to see, and it's not an ideal situation that he doesn't have an experienced guy doing it, but I do think that this will be the Patriots throwing a lot on Mac Jones' plate and saying, listen, we trust you. This is We trust you after your rookie season. We're going to put a lot more on your plate. You're, he's not going to be running the show, but I think he's going to have a lot more say in things. And it'll be interesting to see how he adjusts to that and how he responds to that. Yeah, like even – Somewhat after you know year two, I'd heard this from Tom Curran that you know Tom Brady was taking more chances and he he had the training wheels taken off. I think we we saw that last year. Mac Jones still had the training wheels on for a good portion of it. He did not get a chance to go for like some of these fourth and twos and fourth and threes and big yeah. situations. Maybe this year that's different because they might need him to, given the state of this defense, which I want to transition to now. Yeah. I did a breakdown the other week that had linebackers, like off-ball linebackers and cornerbacks as the most troublesome positions on the defense. But at the same time, it's like, I'm also looking at edge rushers because I'm not sure that they're, I mean, they're probably going to play a lot of safeties, right? And that might mitigate the off-ball thing. But with the yeah. edge rushers, how much of a concern is that, like the pass rush? And what do they need to do to add more depth there. Trey Flowers has been a name that's been floated around. How likely is that? Um, I think it's a possibility. I think that, you know, Dante Hightower is still out there as well. They mm. could maybe bring him in as kind of a more of a situational pass rusher this season if there's any concerns about that. Jimmy Collins is another guy who, you know, maybe you bring him back on a shorter term deal um, and, and have him, you know, play more of an edge rushing role, you know, maybe not using it quite as much off the ball. I think there are some options out there. It seems like at this point, they're kind of in a, a wait and see mode where if there's an injury or something else happens there, if they don't trust the guys that they have, then maybe they could bring someone in. But I mean, it is interesting. I think that at least with the edge position, and I guess it, it ties into off ball linebacker as well. You do still have some guys who've got some upside there. You've got Ju Josh Uche. He could take a, a bigger step forward this season. Uh, we barely saw any of Ronnie Perkins last season, the Patriots defense. Maybe he takes a step forward this season. Cornerback, there's just less of that 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 upside at that position, I feel like. Wide like, open. Yeah, like maybe Malcolm Butler looks like he did a couple of years ago, but and he took a season off. 
Um, you know, maybe Jack Jones looks really good this season and, and he is a really dominant rookie season and everything like that. But I mean, he's, he's a rookie, he's undersized. There's just, I'd say there's a lack of a, of upside at, at cornerback for the Patriots. And at least at, at edge defender and linebacker, you can say, ah, oh, maybe these guys will step up this season. There's just a little bit less of that at cornerback where you're probably talking about a starting group that includes what Jalen Mills, Jonathan Jones and Malcolm Butler, all of those guys are 5'11 or shorter, and two of them ideally would be slot cornerback. So it's it's not the best situation for the Patriots at cornerback right now. No, especially given how much they struggled at the end of last year where they were just getting diced up left and right. right. By... And that was with a $70 million cornerback on their team. Yeah, yeah, not great. So real quick, before we actually get into some of the, the broader things about the division, I wanted to say we, we had an interesting discussion about some of the Patriots draft picks, particularly the top draft picks while we were in spring and, you know, Cole Strange, Tyquan Thornton, like, you know, what was the deal with those? Now that we're a little bit removed from it and you've had a chance to see them in person, I mean, what's your impression of them and has the... I don't know, consternation or confusion over their selections kind of died down a little bit now that the selections have been made and we've gotten a little bit further away? Uh, maybe. I mean, I think that people are still confused by them. I think that it, it might have died down just because the, the hype of the draft has died down. But I mean, no one expected Cole Strange to be a first round pick. So I think that that will, that will carry on with him throughout his career really and to see you know what he turns out to with the patriots and might wind up being a good pick he might wind up being a pro bowler or an all pro i mean he he looks the part he was immediately in there with the starters with the patriots which obviously uh was a good sign the patriots definitely need a starting left guard um so i think that he'll be fine i kind of i i don't i don't have a lot of concern there other than the fact that you know, I'd have less of a concern if it was still Dante Scarnecchia running the show or guys who learned under, under Dante Scarnecchia. But Patriots have a pretty good history of developing those those early offensive line picks. Tyquan Thornton, I'm not quite as sure about at this point. Just looking at him on the field, he's so slight that I can't really envision him playing early on in his Patriots career and that's never a good thing for a wide receiver. I think that you want to get those guys on the field as early as possible so that they can kind of build up some momentum. I, I don't like the idea of having to redshirt a wide receiver and then be like, all right, well, year two is when Tyquan Thornton's really going to bust out. I, I just, I, I don't know. I I like his skill set. I like his speed. I liked what I saw from him in college. But he legitimately looks like he's like 50 pounds lighter than, than Devontae Parker, which he might be. I mean, Devontae Parker might be 225. Tyquan Thornton might not even be 175. But even, you know, a guy like Jacoby Myers, who isn't known to be a, a big wide receiver, he's bulked up to the point where he kind of he, he, he makes Tyquan Thornton look extremely slim out there. So yeah. I don't know. I, I've got more confidence in, in the Cole Strange pick than Tyquan Thornton, at least in their rookie seasons, but I do like Tyquan Thornton's upside. I do think that if they allow him to find the field this season and get some sort of role, get that ball rolling, then I think he could be something in the future. I, I definitely have told stories about his speed uh, in the limited sample that we saw from it, and he didn't drop a single pass from, from what we saw. At the same time, it, it's the same story with Trey Nixon. I would say it's like you got to see what it looks like when the pads are on because Trey Nixon was making huge plays all throughout camp. And I think that he's definitely in a position where he can fight for that last roster spot, 
but we've seen this multiple times, whether it's you know Patriots or or throughout the NFL. Um, I know I had an example from when I was in 2016, looking at Chicago Bears training camp, watching Daniel Braverman. Uh, you know, he had a great, great, uh, you know, start to training camp, and then he just completely disappeared. So it's like it, that happens. So it'd be interesting to see. Kind of last question: When everybody thinks of the AFC East, they put the Bills up there, you know, kind of in the upper echelon. They've got Josh Allen, who's an MVP candidate. He's probably a top three quarterback in football right now, top five at the worst. And then I feel like we're seeing a lot of people put Miami in that tier right along with New England slash above New England a little bit right now based on the offseason that they had, getting Tyreek Hill, adding like Raheem Mostert and Teron Armstead and, and, and really kind of beefing up that offense and you know, getting an offensive head coach and Mike McDaniel. So I'm curious, from your vantage point, how do you see the Patriots competing within this division? Do they have a shot to win it? And you know, are they going to maybe surprise people who think that they've fallen off? I, it's it's a really tough challenge for them to win the division. I, I just think that the Bills are in that that upper echelon of NFL teams. I think that they're almost a shoe in to win the division. The Patriots just didn't make enough improvements this offseason. Uh, they lost some key players like J.C. Jackson. I think Mac Jones would just have to become – he would have to become basically a top-10 quarterback, I think, this season, or the Bills would have to dramatically fall off. Something like catastrophic would basically have to happen for the Bills, I think, uh, for them to not win the division. But I, I think the Dolphins are right there with the Patriots, if maybe not, at least on paper – a step above them at this point. Obviously, a lot depends on Mike McDaniel. I like uh, what he can provide as a head coach. A little bit different, uh, but I think that he'll certainly help on offense. I think he'll help kind of lessen the load a little bit on Tua Tongo Vailoa. Think that all the additions they made at running back this this offseason, Chase Edmonds, like you said, Raheem Mostert, those guys will help as well. Tyreek Hill is definitely going to help Tua too. And I I think one of the key things that the Dolphins did this offseason was. Yes, they changed their head coach, but they didn't change their defense. It's mm. still Josh Boyer running the show on defense. Uh, you know, they've still got Xavier Howard at cornerback. They've got still got Byron Jones. I expect Javon Holland uh, to take another step forward at safety this season. So they're a well-built team and adding Teron Armstead, adding Connor Williams, that's going to help them as well. That's going to help out Tua. So on paper, they're a really talented team uh, that the Patriots are going to have to contend with. And I don't. I think that on paper, the Dolphins are more talented. If if the Patriots are going to finish second in the division behind the Bills in front of the Dolphins, I think a lot of it's going to have to be Bill Belichick. And it's going to have to be Mac Jones. And those guys are going to have to be significantly better than Mike McDaniel and Tua Tagovailoa. Doug Kide of Pro Football Focus, national NFL reporter. Thank you so much for joining me and doing this. I appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you around uh, You know, when you make it down to Foxborough next. Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll be there at training camp a few days. Probably not as much as I was at minicamp, but good talking to you, Kyrie, anytime. That was Doug Kide, national NFL reporter from Pro Football Focus. Thanks once again to him for coming on with me and to you for joining me once again. Remember, this is episode two. There is an episode one already up. I had that one with Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston. Feel free to check that one out. Follow, subscribe, download, listen on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Follow me at KDThompson5. Follow the show accounts. First in Foxborough, F-O-X-B-O-R-O on Twitter and Instagram. Get this podcast 
on your daily rotation, whether I can get it up in time for you to listen to it on your morning commute or when you're listening to it on the way home or just sitting around on your smart speaker, got nothing to do and just want to put on some football talk, man. This is this is what I'm here for, okay? Tune in for next time. We got more coming every single day. Till next time.